This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. The food supply chain is feeling the impact from the coronavirus outbreak because processing plants have been shut down. We're hearing stories now of shortages, potential shortages of beef and chicken and other products. We're also hearing about dairy farmers dumping milk product back into their fields because they can't store it at the farm anymore. So what can be done for the food supply chain? And what does this mean for the consumers in the weeks and months ahead? Marshall Fisher is Professor of Operations, Information, and Decisions here at the Wharton School, and he joins us with his thoughts. Marshall, great to talk to you again. Hope you're doing well. I am doing very well, thank you, and it's good to talk with you. Thank you. I guess to a degree, this end of the story right now is a tad bit underreported, but it seems like we're looking at a potential growing problem here, especially the longer that some of these processing plants stay closed. And I guess your word growing was an unintentional pun, right? Yes. Because part of the food supply chain are growers, farmers. Uh, and and it sounds like the question you're asking is, are we going to starve? Exactly, yes. So I think we're not. Um, the, let's think about it at the aggregate level. Um, we all read about the Smithfield plant as an example of disruptions in the supply chain. So that plant's closed out of action. That's a reduction in capacity, reduction in supply. Uh, what balances that is 25% of U.S. agriculture is exported. And that's basically uh, gone now because ports are closed. So if you look at an aggregate level, I think there's a balance of supply. Uh, exports gone, uh, capacities reduced, uh, consumption patterns have changed, but I think we're, we're roughly in balance at the aggregate level, but incredible disruptions at the micro level. Uh, that's why you see this paradox of farmers throwing away milk when and shelves empty with with milk. Uh, my wife went to Costco this morning to do the shopping, and there was um, lots of milk, <laughs> no <laughs> toilet paper. So we see micro disruptions when we go to the store every day, uh, and, and that's because the food supply chain is very complicated. Um, and some of the suppliers um, supply restaurants, and that's in often a different supply chain than those that, that supply retail stores. So there's going to have to be lots of adaptation along the way, some of which is starting to happen. What is this going to mean then potentially for, for the consumer? You mentioned obviously we're seeing some disruption, uh, a little bit of it in the grocery stores. Uh, what does this mean for the consumers then maybe in the in the weeks and months ahead? Um, well, gosh, it's wonderful because as we're all bored at home, shopping's become an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> My wife said it resembles an athletic sport. Everyone's trying to go through the store as quickly as possible. Um, so, you know, we, if you think about the supply chain, there's farms, there's, there's food processing plants, Smithfield been in the news, uh, then there are retail stores, um, and then there are the consumers. A- and there's storage points along the way, and trucks move all of that. Uh, any of that can be disrupted by people getting sick, 
so COVID plants, workers got sick, but um, in the farms, we depend on 250,000 migrant workers from Mexico. Um, will they want to come? Uh, we, yeah. whenever I report data, everyone questions the validity of the data. I get this off the Hopkins website. U.S. has 314 cases per 100,000. Mexico has 14. So a Mexican worker coming here to pick oranges in Florida, which uh, migrant workers in Florida resembles a cruise ship. (laughs) They're packed together on buses. They live in dorms. They're close in the fields. Uh, so, So that's a disruption. The Smithfield plant is a disruption on the processing time, and anybody could get sick. Uh, now, coming back to your question about consumers, uh, I think what we're doing is um, consumption of food has shifted from restaurants and office buildings to stores. The, the stay at home order is also a poop at home order, right? So I'm told that 40% of toilet paper was used outside the home prior to this. So just take that one thing toilet paper sales in stores are way up. Um, someone asked my wife what she buys when she goes to the store, and she says, whatever's there. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. what does it mean for consumers? Is uh, and I think this is the key word for the whole supply chain is adaptability. There's going to have to be lots of adaptations. So, as consumers, we have to adapt a little bit. Uh, we go to the stores uh, as a uh, few times as possible. So, we buy a lot more when we go to the stores, uh, and we have to be adaptable at what we get there. But does this, Marshall, does this mean that that food supply chains are, are going to have to rethink their dynamic a little bit looking forward? And this is a question we've asked of uh, of a lot of guests in their particular sectors that, that we've talked to them about. Does this require, does this pandemic and the disruptions that have occurred need the food supply chain to rethink what they need to prepare for for a next occasion? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I'm not sure about next occasion. So that's an interesting question. Does the world have to change five years from now because we experienced this to get ready for the next thing? I don't know about that. But let's just limit it to what's going on right now. So, So first of all, there are lots of players in the food supply chain. There's farms, there's processing plants, there and their retail establishments, uh, all of those could change and I think are changing. So let's just take the simple thing of you can't find milk and toilet paper in stores. So the um, supply chain for toilet paper is a little bit different. There's a different kind of toilet paper that goes to office buildings and restaurants yeah. uh, for public restrooms. It's lower quality, bigger bigger sizes. I've not seen this happen, but it seems like it could happen that uh, grocery stores have public bathrooms, so they must be receiving that 
call it industrial toilet paper. Yes. They could relabel it. They'd have to come up with a UPS code <laughs> and relabel it. But they could sell that within their stores, and then we as consumers could buy it. We'd have to adapt a little bit. Um, we'd have to be, so Marshall, be we'd, Marshall, we'd have to be able to adapt to get that big roll on our small little, little roll yeah. at home. <laughs> that would be the biggest adaptation. <laughs> well, that's an adventure. <laughs> Let me um, let me ask right. you let, let me ask you about the the farmers themselves because obviously farmers right uh, run on pretty tight margins to begin with and now you've got this time where there is this disruption that they are having to deal with and, and farmers go through cycles like this I think you know every few years to begin with is this is this disruption for these farmers just kind of the normal process of what they're used to every couple of years, or is this even a little bit different than, than the norm for them? Well, it's a very well put question because I think life on the farm has always been challenging. Um, and, and so challenge is not new for farmers. I think this is probably the mother of all challenges. Uh, so if you look at milk, 15% of milk production was sold overseas in dried powder form. 8% was sold through schools. So that's all gone at an aggregate level to the extent that that supply chain was segmented and different uh, supply chain for retail stores for milk versus producing the dried powder that shipped overseas. Right. Uh, that's an example of what I kind of began with that things are okay in aggregate, but out of balance at a more micro level. So any farmer, dairy farmer, that was supplying powdered milk to China, where the ports are for a while closed, uh, they're throwing away their milk, and that's a huge problem. Um, pig farmers are euthanizing their pigs because the Smithfield plant is down. So, th yeah, this is a big disruption for farmers. No question about it. Marshall, what's the expectation then uh, for uh, for these uh, manufacturing plants in terms of getting them back up and running and being able to, to cover some of the losses along the way here? Because I think the last thing that a lot of companies want to see is some of these plants having to shut down over the course of time. Right, right. So the, the headline word is adaptation. We see it in stores, right? Stores um, have senior hours. They've um, changed the way they are. They let fewer people into the store, social distancing. That same adaptation can happen in a plant. So the Smithfield plant, um, if you, I bet most people listening have seen pictures or videos of that plant. People are pretty close to each other. That's the case in most plants, auto plants, you're shoulder to shoulder. You can reopen that plant with people six feet apart, socially distanced, but you need, you, that requires you to have fewer people and then lower output. Now, I don't know the calendar those plants operate by, but if you need to increase capacity of a plant, uh, you can do that by running more shifts, running more hours, so run 24-7. So basically two adaptations, fewer workers, socially distanced, uh, means lower output per hour, but then run more hours in the week, and you try to recover that capacity. Right, right. Uh, same Great to have farm. you with us, Marshall. Farm Thanks very much for your be. insight. Greatly appreciate it. Be safe, and we'll see you on campus at some point down the road.
Yes, indeed. <laughs> Sometime. Thank you. Marshall Fisher, Professor of Operations, Information and Decisions at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.